this is our class on marriage and relationships, Sunday, July 14th. I need to call Fabby to order. Fabby, you're being recorded. Thank you, dear. And we're actually in a little excursus in our class on dealing with conflict. So you should have a handout from the little uh, narthex outside the room. This one is called Self-Diagnostic Questions for Godly Communication. Why is it inevitable we're going to have conflict with other people? Why is it inevitable? Andy? We're sinners. We live in a fallen world. It, uh, conflict is inevitable. It's inescapable. And, and the question becomes... How are we going to do conflict well? And one of the uh, assumptions from this handout is start by looking at yourself as a communicator in a conflict situation. So what I have are self-diagnostic questions for godly communication. We want our communication, a style, content, the way we resolve conflict. We want it all to glorify God. We want it to model the gospel. We believe that God's ways are the best ways. So here's the logic of the handout. We're going to compare and contrast a helpful or redemptive way of doing conflict resolution versus an unhelpful or hindering way of doing conflict resolution. What do I mean by helpful and redemptive? Why do I call this a redemptive method of doing conflict resolution or communication when you have heart room with another person? Why do you think I call it redemptive? Because... But it made me think, as I read through, it made me think, you need to keep in mind that this may work really well when I'm talking to another sinner trying to seek God. you got to be careful and protective of yourself, I would say, when the other part, and sometimes it's not necessarily your husband, it may be a friend, maybe a family member, because if they're not seeking God, and if their word of view is evil, almost, yeah. doesn't you need work. To be careful. It doesn't work. Yeah. You have to be careful. So this is for my part, mm-hmm. and ideally trying to resolve differences with a fellow believer. We're all sort of on the same page mm-hmm. in terms of our worldview. Right. Given those two things, for my part. What can I ask myself about the way I'm doing things? Even if I'm dealing with an unbeliever or someone that I don't have strong hopes they're going to see things my way, there's value and benefit looking within at what I'm thinking, the way I'm communicating, etc. So by helpful redemptive, the idea is that our goal in relationships is always redemptive. We want to bring good from it. We want to bring grace to it. We want it to reveal and show the mercy of God. We want the relationship to get better. God is the great redeemer. He comes and saves us from ourselves. We want relationships to be saved from sin. So in any situation, am I moving and living and thinking, Lord, redemptively? Am I wanting the best? Am I promoting grace? Am I bringing good to this? Am I bringing people to Jesus because of this? That's what I mean by helpful or redemptive. So we're going to contrast helpful, redemptive way of thinking about your communication in a conflict versus an unhelpful or what would hinder it. Okay? Most of this is just kind of common sense, but hopefully uh, filled with biblical principles as well. So there's 
five questions to ask yourself as you begin to engage in resolving an issue with another person. Five questions to ask yourself. They're across the top of the page. It's just one way to tease out the issues. What are my intentions? What are my assumptions? What are my methodologies? What's my delivery style? And what are my goals? Okay, there's just sort of five issues in play when you think about trying to resolve an issue with another person and hopefully with another believer who, uh, who shares most of these goals. So let's talk through the, what I'm calling the helpful or redemptive way. And again, these are self-diagnostic questions to help you communicate in a way that moves the relationship down a redemptive, not a destructive avenue. So first of all, asking yourself, what are my intentions? Am I thinking the best of the other person? Why should you do that? Think the best, for starters. They may eventually give you reasons to not think the best of them, but why should you start thinking the best of them? Is that a good place to start? Because if I'm going from the redemptive <coughs> point of view, I want the best. Give them the benefit of the doubt. Give the benefit of the doubt. You'll also see that phrase on here. Good. So I want to think the best. Don't you want people to think the best of you? We call that being charitable to someone. I'm thinking the best in the midst of this disagreement. And until you give me reasons to the contrary, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to trust you. Think the best of you. So those are some of my intentions. What are my assumptions? You may have good reasons for your position. Let's suppose Bob and I disagree about something. I'm pretty sure I'm right, and I'm pretty sure he doesn't see it. I know he doesn't see it the way I see it. I want to believe Bob has good reasons for what he believes. And I may be better off for having heard those reasons, rather than just assume I know best, down from on high, here comes the word from on high. No, stop and give him... Uh, the benefit of the doubt, think the best. You probably have good reasons for your position. I certainly have good reasons for my position. Why wouldn't you? And the, the idea that I'm for you. So if you're disagreeing, particularly with your spouse, if your spouse knows there's not a doubt in my mind that my husband is for me, that gives her grace to hear, need a handout. That gives her grace to hear a perspective that may challenge her. Because if you're going to get challenged by somebody, it helps a lot for you to know, for you to believe. They're for me. They want the best for me. They trust me. What are my methodologies? Well, start by asking questions. Presume a certain level of agnosticism. I don't know everything. I need to ask some questions. Gather information. As you do, listen. Most of us have a position formed in our minds and we can't wait to weigh in and tell our position. Suspend that, even if you're absolutely, like your kids. Your ki you know your kids are in the wrong, right? You know they're in the wrong. There's not a doubt in your mind. But you need to enter into their world, give them the benefit of the doubt. They may have good reasons for what they're doing. Ask questions, gather information, listen. What would your delivery style be then? <clears throat> your speech should be sweet. Paul tells us that in Colossians 4, when we're uh, talking to unbelievers about the gospel, season your speech. Season it. Why do you put salt on your food? It brings out the flavor. Red meat, seafood for me, those are the things I just have to have salt on. Brings out the flavor. God wants our speech to 
be flavorful. He doesn't want the quality of our speech to be a hindrance to resolving conflict. Gentleness is one of the fruits of the Spirit. As we say, you catch more flies with honey than with vinegar. Is that a southern phrase? Or you all know that phrase? You catch more flies with honey than with vinegar. Sweetness. Gentleness. And what are your goals here? Well, you're trying to peace. You're trying to resolve the conflict. And sympathy. Even if you are disagreeing with that person, you're expressing sympathy. And let's suppose they're in the wrong. Why are they in the wrong and not you? Ultimately unreason. Only one reason. What? The grace of God. So you can be sympathetic. They got this wrong, you got this right. Sympathy. Gentleness. Okay, so that's, that's the first track. Uh, <clears throat> we're moving across the helpful, redemptive way of, of doing conflict resolution. These are self-diagnostic questions so that you're communicating in a way that brings about unity and healing. The second one, I think Fabi used the phrase, you want to give that person the benefit of the doubt, meaning, what are some of your assumptions? I could be wrong. Is that hard for some of us to say, to think, to believe? Yes. Why is that hard for me to believe I could be wrong? Because I want to be right. Why do I want to be right? Pride. Maybe because I'm insecure. Maybe because I have some... You know, ever since we got kicked out of the Garden of Eden, there is a fear of being wrong and being judged. And that fear is there for a good reason. We are in the wrong. We are living under God's judgment. And there's lots of things human beings do to try to compensate for that. Inter- we're not very aware of it consciously. There's lots of things we try to do to compensate for that. Always trying to be right. Control a situation. Uh, getting people to like us. There's things we do that ultimately only God and the gospel can settle. So look, I could be wrong. It's a great way to start a disagreement with your spouse. Honey, I'm understanding this. I see it differently. I could be wrong. Let's talk it out. Let's do methodologies. Ask questions, gather information, listen. Be inquisitive. Tell me more. And how are you hurting? Why is that an important question? Because someone might have a cognitive position about something. They're thinking a certain thing. But guess what's going on in here? There could be a whole lot of emotion. Either they are or they aren't in touch with. A whole lot of emotion. And sometimes we're not aware of that emotion. I remember having a, a, a discussion with my kids a few years ago. And they said, Dad, you seem so angry. And I was not consciously aware of that anger. I was like, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. <laughs> I thought that last night. <laughs> you thought that last night. No, my kid, my niece just told me, like, why are you in Chinese so different? I'm like, you're not. Yes, you are. And then the way she, she explained, like, I'm always, like, angry. And I'm like, And, you know. I could go with, you need to learn how to read me, or I could go and let you check this out. Good. And so, and so, and so, in addition to saying you need to learn how to read me, would be even asking the question, oh, how are you experiencing me right now? How are you, ex- you're experiencing me as being angry. I'm not aware of that anger in my heart, but so tell me about that. What am I saying? How do I look that you're experiencing me as being angry? I was having lunch with 
one of our Wallace members one time, and his voice was being raised, and this kind of thing, and, and he stopped in the middle of it, and he said, look, I just want you to understand, I'm not mad. This is just the way I talk when I'm feeling passionate about something. Everybody in the restaurant could hear us. But he, it was great of him to be, have that self-awareness to say, look, I'm not mad, I'm just loud when I get excited about something. That was helpful to me. Because I was experiencing him as being angry. But he wasn't. Okay, so we're giving the benefit, we're in the middle of helpful redemptive, we're giving the benefit of the doubt. I could be wrong. What are my assumptions? God is at work for everyone's good. If I'm in the wrong, do I need to know about it? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's a good thing. Pride would have me think that's a bad thing and I have to protect my reputation and protect my image and protect whatever thing I want to project. No, if I'm in the wrong, I need to know it. God's at work. God's always at work. How's God working in you? How's God working in me? These are assumptions that we have. And we assume that, everybody see where you are on the handout? My sin, left unchecked, could ruin this relationship. So you should assume when you come into a conflict resolution situation that you have sin in the game. Skin in the game. You have sin in the game. And if left unchecked, that can really undermine where the relationship is going. That's why it's best to do what before you engage in any kind of serious conflict resolution? That's right. to pray. Lord, I could be wrong. Lord, you're at work. Lord, you've probably got things to show me I don't know or I'm not aware of. And why would God be showing you things you don't know you're not aware of? Because he loves you. He loves you. He wants the best for you. Welcome back. And and uh, Matt was away serving our country in Kuwait and Afghanistan. Welcome back, brother. Thank you. Marty's away serving the trout in the streams of Montana. Somewhere. Welcome back. So, my sin, left unchecked, could ruin this relationship. How do we do marriage in a healthy way? I wake up every morning and say, Lord, if left to myself, I'll ruin my marriage. It's on me. The greatest threat to my marriage is me. So I run to Jesus for grace. I go to Jesus, and he exposes that sin in his word. And whenever he exposes sin, he wants to assure us, I've died for it, I love you, my grace is greater than this sin, you're precious to me, we're going to fight this together. So with Jesus fighting your sin in you, you don't need to fight your spouse over their sin. That creates the kind of humility by which we can have charitable disagreement, discussion, etc. My sin, left unchecked, could ruin this relationship. That should be an assumption you believe. What are your methodologies? Ask questions, gather information, listen, be inquisitive. You're wondering, how is that person hurting? Maybe even stop through the middle of a discussion and say, am I hurting you right now? Am I missing something? Am I, do you feel like I'm understanding? Just ask. Do you feel heard? Right? Just ask if that's an issue. How about your delivery style? Sweetness of speech? Gentle? What are your goals? This is self-diagnostic questions for valid communication. What are my goals? I want peace. Right? Paul says, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all people. Certainly Christians need to be at peace with each other because we're modeling that God is a great reconciler. He's at peace with us through Jesus. Where does the world see how God reconciles sinners? In the way we live with each other. That's where the world sees it. 
We are living in flesh demonstrations of the gospel. So when Christians can't get along, it's saying the wrong thing about God. We want, uh, we want our, our, our relationships to reveal Christ in the gospel. We want to keep the relationship going. There's a verse in Proverbs 19 that says, uh, it is the glory of a person to overlook a transgression. It is your glory to overlook. So when you're putting on your makeup and you're getting ready for the day and you're thinking about your image and how you look, how often does it occur to us that what makes us beautiful is the grace to overlook a transgression? And that verb there, overlook, carries the idea of keeping the relationship going. So, so far as it depends on us, we want to keep the relationship going. There may be times in God's economy that you have a history in a relationship and you just go, I don't think it can keep going on. I think that can happen in God's economy. But as a rule, in principle, we want to work towards keeping the relationship going. That requires overlooking a transgression. Makes you beautiful. Makes you beautiful in God's eyes. How do we know the glory and the beauty of Jesus? He takes our sins in his body that he can overlook them and forgive us. And then the last question to ask in terms of your intentions in the helpful, redemptive way of resolving conflict is to ask, what's the truth? We need to know what the truth is. No one, your assumptions, no one likes to be deceived. And we assume that how I communicate is just as important as what? Delivery style, incredibly important as what I'm going to say. Okay? How did God deliver the good news of grace to us? In the most beautiful person in the world, Jesus. He showed us himself. We know what God is like. It's not a mystery anymore. God is Jesus. You want to know God? Jesus. And here he is, gentle and humble and hard. So we don't like to be deceived or deceive others. How I communicate is just as important as what? How many of you believe you're really good, self-consciously good, in the way you deliver hard things to other people. How would you rate yourselves? Good, bad, indifferent, need to grow. I've got that licked. Need to grow. <clears throat> the stronger you feel about something, the more subconsciously you need to be aware of your emotions not getting the better of the situation. The more that person has hurt you, the more you need to be aware of your inclination to want to do what? You punch me, what do I want to do? That's, that's my academic instinct, is to punch you back. You found me, I'm going to foul you. Right? In Major League Baseball, if you hit a home run off a pitcher, the next batter's going to get beat. That's, kind of, that's kind of the way it works, so I'm told. What are your methodologies? Transparency, honesty, delivery style, humble honesty. Again, I could be wrong. And what are my goals? We're seeking understanding. If you don't feel understood through the course of a discussion, what would be a helpful question to ask? If you don't feel understood. Yes. Could you repeat that? Or how do you, what do you think I just explained to you? Yes. Tell, tell me what you're hearing with our kids, our spouses. What, what did you what do you hear me say? Oh, good, exactly. So those are some help, uh, some ideas, questions you're asking yourself for helpful, redemptive conflict resolution. I'm going to contrast that to what I'm calling unhelpful or perhaps hindering conflict resolution. 
And so there's a, I do believe that people who may be unhelpful or hindering want the truth. That's why I have in here, it's possible to seek the truth, but to use bad methodology. I'm going to give the benefit of the doubt. People that may not be moving in the most helpful way, they may be hindering, they still may want to know what the truth is. So, uh, what are their intentions? What's the truth? Assumptions. Who knows? It's good if they're aware of those. Their goals, all the way across the page, oftentimes people just want to be vindicated. I want to be seen as being in the right. What should you do if that's your goal in your heart? Is it necessarily wrong to want to be seen as being in the right? Not necessarily. But if that's the only thing driving it, and not more redemptive goals, that might hijack the way you do things and, and, uh, and color everything you do because you need to be vindicated. You need to be vindicated. So back to the left-hand side, your intentions. Uh, an unhelpful way, hindering way, of resolving conflict is, I want to expose malice. I'm going to think the worst of this person. So you just have to ask yourself, is that where my mindset is toward that person? What are my assumptions? I, oh, I must assume they have bad reasons for their position versus good reasons for why they believe in their belief. It's not a very charitable way to live, is it? I assume you have bad reasons for your position. <laughs> Methodologies. If you want the conversation to go south, start with accusation. Just walk in and start blasting away. That's really helpful, isn't it? <laughs> I'm like, come on, that's just, you really need to shut it down when that, you sense that you've started something and somebody's just, just come in, guns are blazing accusations, you just say, I'm sorry, we need to take the energy out of this. We need to postpone until uh, calmer, calmer tempers are going to prevail. Right? You, those discussions, usually, we got in, we got in, if you're a parent and you're in a big uh, discussion with a teenager, you know that at a certain point you're going down a spiral and it's always going to end bad. And we just learn to say, we're done. We're done. We can't, we're done. We're done. This is not going to get any better. And even adults need to do that. They need to have the grace to say, I don't think we're connecting right now. Or maybe just put it on yourself. I'm getting to a point where right now I'm feeling such that I can't contribute charitably to this discussion. We need a timeout. We need to go in for halftime and come back out. Now, if in a relationship you're always punting, you're always bailing, you're always, you know, what do you call those? Yellow cards in soccer? You know, if you're always doing that, then you've got to address that. But give the other person you're disagreeing with the grace to take a timeout if they're in a bad place emotionally. But they can't do it constantly because then they're just running from the problem. And you've, you've got to deal with that. So, you want to end something poorly? Start with accusations. Be demanding. Make blatant con condemnations. What's your delivery style? Typically, on, on this part of the continuum, it's harsh, it's angry, and it's critical. What sort of fruits does that usually invite from other people? When someone's being harsh with you, critical, and, and angry. What's it invite from you? Defensive. How, how, what am I supposed to do with that? How do I handle that? Or respond in kind. You're angry with me, I'm going to get just angry with you. I'm not backing down. Right? And then what, what, we're, on, we're on the downward spiral. You know who sits on top of that a, a downward spiral? The angriest person in the world, Satan. Loves it when Christians don't get along. Loves to uh, uh, submarine Christian relationships, marriage, your relationship with your kids. Right? He's 
He's the person in the universe with the most conflict to deal with. He's going to get thrown in the lake of fire. And he knows it. And he just as soon burn up every good relationship on his way. So that means oftentimes we've got to put on the armor of God, pray against Satan coming in and just destroying unity that exists in, that God has given us unity, right? We're called in Ephesians 4 to be diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit of the bond of peace. God's given us unity by virtue of being in union with Christ. We're called to preserve it. Satan wants to destroy it. Again, delivery style, harsh, angry, critical. What are the goals? I have to be right. I have to prove you're wrong. There are better ways to go about resolving conflict. So, those are, and these, um, uh, okay, I guess I skipped the bottom line. What are my intentions? I'm suspect of your motives. I can't love you if we disagree. You know, God has disagreements with you all day long. He's all day long, he sins. He still loves you. Blatant condemnation is critical. Prove you're wrong. Okay. Thoughts, questions, disagreements, challenges, changes. We're in a dialogue with this. Helpful. Is it helpful? Good. Got to be self-reflective. So there's... And I may be missing some categories. If you look at this and you say, Mike, you've missed a really big thing, or let me know, I'll include this. All right, I'm going to move to another handout. Did somebody say, uh-oh? <laughs> or did they say, oh, really? Nice and loud for those listening in Radio Land. It's just avoid bringing up the Hmm? Avoid bringing up difficult topics. Avoid bringing up difficult topics? As what? A hindrance? You just avoid it. Yeah. And we talked about that a few weeks ago that if you have. A conflict with somebody, a conflict is ordained by God to make the relationship better. Just like where there's a bone broken in my body, God has made it so that when the, when the body heals that bone, that place in that bone is stronger than any other place on that bone. So conflict is designed when it's resolved well, makes the relationship better. So if you're stuffing conflict, it's only a matter of time till things blow up. Right? That's that's part of the cycle, I think, of the problem is if conflict is not resolved and one party is just humbling themselves and saying, okay, I've got to have grace here because the other person just cannot see themselves, it doesn't make anything better. So my, my point keeps going. I mean, I keep asking the question, like, what is the truth? You know, getting to the point where two parties can see like two parties are giving and can see somewhat the other person's position. point of yes. view, seeing the other person's point yes. of view. Yeah. And uh, I, if the two parties can do that together, then I just believe in the Christian community there's got to be some other way, of, you know, prayer 
and time, but there's got to, to me, there's got to be an elder or some, uh, what's the word, other third party mediator that's kind of saying, okay, you know, this person might have this position, or can you see this position? Someone helping to see common ground, or, or the church goes forward and there are disagreements, and honestly, communication just stops. You know, trust is broken, and then communication is not there. So we, we walk around and we don't address, you know, we end up being fake. We just kind of put things to the side. We don't have true relationships within the church body. Yeah. And it rears its ugly head. It rears it all the way down the road. Never gets better. What do you do, I guess more in the context of a marriage, when there's conflict? Not nice and loud, so everybody can oh, when, when, when there's conflict, uh, and of the two parties, one believes that the conflict has been resolved, but the other one does not. So that you start out as a conflict, and you try to achieve some kind of a resolution, and one, you know, the husband or the wife says, okay, solved, I'm fine with it, but the other one is not. So uh, how do you, you know, it's like it's not a mutual understanding, but is, you know, one's still perceiving conflict, but the other one is, you know, it's good. Conflict or difference? You're seeing well, the issue differently, or you still yeah. feel the conflict's there? Well, I guess we, 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 it was under the topic of, of conflict, but maybe it's, <clears throat> maybe it's, it's difference. Well, if you have a relationship, one person feels it's settled and the other doesn't, is it settled? No. Apparently not, right? So I think you got to go back to the drawing board, and if I'm the one that thinks it's settled, and and I need to seek to do what? Ask more questions, seek understanding, what am I missing, tell me more, where are you hurting, just all kinds of these self-diagnosis. But, but what if at the end of doing all that you still disagree? Meaning, you see it that way, you have your balance point. I, I feel for you seeing it that way, but I legitimately, honestly, just don't see it that way. I don't think it's I, I, you're right. I mean, it's, 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 it gets away sort of from the conflict, but it becomes more like of a, a difference in viewpoint. So, have you resolved a conflict if you've agreed that you have different viewpoints on something? I would say yes. For uh, and my question was like, so what is going to take for the conflict to be solved? And sometimes what take is wish we got to the conclusion that we see it differently. But if that difference affects how you raise children, or if that, you know, it depends where the difference lies, I think. Like, if the difference is what food we eat on Tuesday, yeah. no matter. But if, if the difference is how we're raising our children, where are we going to send them to school, that those are, I think it depends on, on where the difference is. But, but you still get to the point of one person saying, what food do we eat on Tuesday? I, I don't I don't care. care. So the other, the other one might be like, no, I really do care. You know what I mean? Then eat whatever you want. It, it, yeah, it's not an issue anymore. But, you know, like, I will go down the, the trenches if it's how we're going to raise your kids or how we're going to... Yeah. I guess it depends. I have one more question. What, give me advice on... 
how to help each other be more self-reflective. How to help in, in the Christian body to see whatever in our relationships, to, to, for people to see themselves. You want to help somebody else see themselves? Well, or my, well, yeah, or someone help me, vice versa. Good. How, what is the practice? Because you said, you said several times, self-reflective, self-reflective. Yeah. It seems to me like all of these things, you have to be able to look at yourself yeah. or listen to other people. Yeah. So what are some ways that we can practically do that? Because it's just striking to me that in, in our Christian walk, we should be, that is something we should be able to do more as we read scripture. We should be yeah. more equipped to do this, better equipped than yeah. the world outside. Yeah. So if we see that we're not, how do we do that with each other? We, you, and somebody else in a relationship, well, you could model it. You could model it with somebody and just say, "Hey, here's here's what I'm thinking as I begin to analyze my own heart, my own my own actions in this. These are the questions I'm asking myself. These are the conclusions I'm coming to. How do you want to weigh in on those? And can I invite you to do the same? So can we can we get into a dialogue together about doing that? And if someone's unwilling, there's not a whole lot you can do with it. I agree. We should model this in the Christian in the Christian family. We ought to be good at this. But we, um, we have to model it ourselves. We set the pace. We set the tempo for it. And humble ourselves and say, I could be wrong here. Here's the way I'm thinking about it. Point out where I might be wrong. And hopefully they invite you to do the same thing. And I think if model. they don't, and if they're not there yet, maybe for a season you're going to have to let it go. You're going to just have to call whatever you want to call. In a marriage, I think you can't, but in other relationships, you have to let it go. Like, I had to let it go some family members that, uh, right now, I don't let them go forever, but I, I love to use the word yet. They don't know they're yet. Mm -hmm. And I don't know when God's going to get them there. So right now, I will be kind to them as yep. much as possible. I will treat them with respect and dignity, but yep. they're not there yet. So good. in answer to what you were just saying, Lisa, it was really helpful to me when we were doing Proverbs in Sunday school class earlier, um, and one of the first out-of-the-gate application questions was, could this be me? And uh, I know I remember uh, <laughs> I remember when I first married into the reformed faith, Bob made me reformed. <laughs> but I remember I was missing something when I first came here. And that was when I was sitting in Sunday school classes and Bible studies. We never got to the so what application discussion as a group about the scripture we were reading. So it was like a really heavy intellectual approach to learning about faith. But what, what, what are we going to do with that information when we walk out the door? This was a struggle I had in my faith journey years ago. I don't have it so much now, but this kind of goes back to modeling and being brave enough to bring up in the dyad or the group that you're with. Could that be me? <laughs> or, you know, we want to relate to, um, you 
you know, the character we're reading about in Scripture that seems more godly and not think about how we might be the character in Scripture that's not being godly. And just being willing to go into that, take time and space to do that. I think that will really help in terms of our personal day-to-day relationships if we were more outwardly spoken about how we can relate to the sin that we're reading about. Good. Thank you. One of the big problems questions, could that be me? Here's a very underutilized question from the Apostle Paul. In Corinthians, you know, they were suing each other. You know how Paul addresses it? See, we don't know because we don't talk about this. He says, why not rather be wronged? Why don't you use that question in your conflicts? Why not rather be wronged? I'm not saying don't resolve your conflicts. Why not rather be wronged? When I moved to Fort Worth, one of the guys that helped start our church was in the golf business, and he had started in Dallas, and they saw a helpful, uh, a potential market in Fort Worth. And, um, and he, he, he said to his partner, you know, where do you want to go? And the guy said, I'm going to stay in Dallas. That's where all the, that's where all the hot, hot golf market is. So he said, okay. So we went to Fort Worth, built a successful business. And... Um, he had, he had purchased a building that he got his insurance on, and the guy flubbed up the paperwork, and he actually didn't have insurance on it. And he, he used that verse to say, why not rather be wrong? I'm just, I'm just, I'm not going to have a lot of heart in this. Look, I, I'm not saying that's the ultimate precedent for when something happens, and we have law courts for a reason. The law courts are based on biblical law. But... How about this question? Why not rather be wronged? Add that in. I, that really should be on the handout. Nate? Uh, I think one of the complicating factors is you have a disagreement about how to interact with the kids. Because then. I'm sorry, you and Melissa disagreeing about how to interact with the kids? <laughs> no, I'm sorry. What was the other context? Context. context. I think kids, because the context. If you disagree on that, you can't just say, why would I rather be wrong? Because if you feel like. The kids are going to be the ones that are wrong if you're just going to not deal with this issue. Or, you know, any other third party. So, you don't... You need a context. Sure. I I would love to be able to apply that to a situation where there are... There's a third party that's also affected. So it seems like in some things you're kind of forced to come to a conclusion rather than just say, like, I'll take the fallout of this. Sometimes the fallout is other people. It's not you. Yeah. And if the other person's in sin, it's even more serious. Yeah, because love requires to point out the sin. So there's a context, but I would say add that question to your way of thinking. Well, we have a couple minutes left, so I can only introduce this handout. We'll finish it next week, Lord willing. What? What's, what's funny? I love how you overpack. You're prepared for more, to cover more than we ever do. Good. <laughs> Woe to the teacher who underprepared. Honey, come on. Why not rather be overprepared? <laughs> this is called gospel resolution where you struggle. And it assumes you have serious struggle with another person. They've hurt you. And actually, in real life, this diagram grew out of a situation where I had a relative who was uh, engaged and was jilted by the other person and was the source of a lot of pain and difficulty for my relative getting moving through this. And we talked some about it, and I sat down and I just sort of said, okay, let's 
how, how do you make the categories that are in play? So this diagram starts at the bottom, and we're going to move up. And it occurred to me that when there's been a relational strife with another person, you've been hurt, getting to the point where you are at peace with it, where you've done everything in your power to deal with it, you're faced with a series of decisions about very specific issues. And you can either turn to the right, and that promotes healing in the relationship, or you can turn to the left, and that promotes festering. You can't get past the hurt. And this is a tool to help you get past the hurt. So far as it's under your control. There's a bunch of issues in play. There could be more. This is just me thinking about what are the issues in play. And again, the question is, what direction are you turning to manage the pain of being hurt by another person? They've objectively hurt you. First issue, where are you putting your focus? Do you start with your sins? Do you start with saying, I'm a person who needs super international, super, uh, in, supernatural intervention in my life. I'm not going to walk in the flesh. I need to walk in the spirit. I'm a person desperate for the spirit of God to show up, or I'm not going to do anything with that. Are you that desperate? Do you cast yourself immediately and intentionally upon the spirit of God for his fruit? Are you serious about fighting and dwelling sin in the flesh? Okay. So are you, is your focus on your sins or is your focus on their sins? We have, when we're hurt, a natural pull, like a misaligned car wheels, we have a natural pull to focus on that other person's sins. That's where we naturally need to go. That's, where we no, that's not where we need to go. That's where we naturally go. And this diagram is saying, if you're focusing on that person's sin, you're going to be festering the wound. Start by looking at your own. Maybe you didn't send it, but it's really good to ask yourself, where have I gone wrong in this? Do I, wanna, do I need the supernatural intervention of the Spirit of God for my part in moving to a place of healing? And it looks like we have about nine more to do next week. So let me pray for you. Lord, thank you for my brothers and sisters. Thank you for the interest they have in these things so they wouldn't be here. I thank you for their marriages where there's marriage, for their friendships where they're singles, for their children, where there are parents in the room. And we stand in awe of you that you are indeed the great reconciler. You, you did not do nothing when we were at odds with you. Indeed, you sent your son, your precious beloved son Jesus to die for us, to suffer for us, to take the torment in our place that we might be at peace with you. How much more ought we to be walking in peace with each other? So give us grace to look reflectively, to look inwardly, to look humbly, and to desire the kinds of things and methodologies and qualities of speech and goals that bring to pass in our relationships the healing that reveals the gospel. Give us grace as we worship now uh, to do so with all of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.